back to Libraryland Loves. I'm Michelle Arbuckle, and today we are talking about events, specifically virtual events, and how to make them better. Over the past 20 months or so, we've all likely used Zoom or some variation of Zoom to attend conferences, talks, seminars, trivia nights, bingo games, poetry workshops, bar mitzvahs, and weddings. Some of them have been good, and let's just admit, some of them have been very, very bad. And the perfect ingredients of a virtual, a good virtual event are difficult to come by and usually only perfected by some very painful trial and error. Well, my guest today has been attempting many, many iterations of the virtual event recipe and just recently managed the Ontario Library Service virtual conference for over 400 public librarians in this province. Stephen Kraus started his 17th year working in the library sector this past September 2021, having spent much of his career as a consultant with the former Ontario Library Service North Provincial Agency. Many of you will know the acronym OLS North. Um, Stephen is now the Director of Training and Consulting for the newly amalgamated Ontario Library Service, and he leads an ultra-talented team of seven consultants who provide training, consulting, and support services to Ontario's 300-plus French, First Nations, and English public libraries. Stephen is also the host of the OLS's Board Briefs podcast and has spent time as a rodeo, not a rodeo, a radio broadcaster <laughs> with the CBC and CKLU 96.7 FM in Sudbury, Ontario. If Stephen's not in front of the microphone on the airwaves, you'll find him on stage playing loud electric guitar in the Sudbury music scene, or the flip side of that, out in nature, hunting and fishing or kayaking in the wilds of Northern Ontario. So we'll be right back with Stephen Chris. Hello, Stephen. Hey there, Michelle. I can definitely guarantee that I have never been to a rodeo previously, but it is of interest to go check one out eventually. I like the idea of you being a rodeo broadcaster. Just gonna, I don't exactly know what that means, but I, I like that as a title. I think the CBC should make that a job description for somebody on their staff. <laughs> uh, I'm so happy you could join us today. Thank, I, I love chatting with you and getting to hear about what's going on up at OLS and up in the north. So let's talk a little bit about what your, your top five list today. What are we talking about? So today we're going to we're start exploring some top five ideas to make uh, good virtual events. So for the, for the OLS and the, and the predecessor organizations, virtual events have always been something we've been toying with more formally going back to around 2018 or so. You know, we, we were experimenting with some, uh, some enhanced webinars and some enhanced events and uh, you know, some simultaneous broadcasts of certain events and stuff like that, just to try to see if we could, uh, we could manage to get that kind of content out in a, in a really logical fashion. So what, what I propose today to bring is uh, five, five kind of broader ideas in terms of where we can go to guarantee that uh, making good virtual events can happen for any size organization, Michelle. That's great. And perfect timing as I'm uh, in the middle of Super Conference 2022 planning. So some of these will be inspirational for me and, uh, and you're just wrapping up your conference. So the timing is perfect. All right. So let's start with your number five. All right. And uh, yeah, we're going to go into reverse order. I, I love the David Letterman style reverse Me too. order. Thing, Me so. too. Love a countdown. <laughs> so my, my first piece is uh, what's the plan? So it's, it's great to find a structure that's going to work for both the organizers, but also the intended presenters. 
uh, when you get into that planning phase, you kind of forget about the presenters sometimes because, you know, you think if you're going to ask somebody to do something virtually, there might be this predisposed expectation already there that, you know, they're going to be able to deliver X, Y, Z. It's important to have the conversation both from the organization side of things, but also the presenter side of things that, uh, you know, that you can make sure that the presenter that you're going to get is going to be able to do what they actually want to do and actually what you need them to do in, in terms of the context of the program. Um, you know, I will always be a great proponent, proponent of there's certain things that just do better in an in-person setting, but mm -hmm. I would never discount anything being convertible into a virtual setting because mm -hmm. over the years of experience we've had doing uh, all kinds of virtual events, it's been pretty impressive in terms of what we've been able to convert into a virtual experience. Like these tiny little elements like doing a poll, doing a survey, checking in with the audience, these really basic things that you kind of do and monitor your crowd in an in-person situation that actually work really well as long as you've got the right platform behind you to be able to, 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 to conduit that in a, in a fashion or a manner that's going to be engaging and not like a big burden or a technological uh, like hurdle for a participant uh, to, to kind of face off. Yeah, so, sure. so, so once you find and figure out that structure, uh, it's, it's important to create, uh, create a plan that's going to be kind of exciting and relatable, and most importantly, marketable. Mm -hmm. Compliments to the OLA last year, you know, you guys shifted very quickly to that virtual idea of throwing super conference. The marketing was excellent. It brought in tons of people. That's the kind of example. That's the kind of vibe that, you know, is very high up on that marketable ladder because you created excitement around uh, around the product or around the uh, the event that was coming up in a fashion that was going to you know tease those people that said you know if I can sit on my couch and do this why wouldn't I attend this is great mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. that same kind of marketable aspect i think is super important it doesn't have to be cheesy it doesn't have to be over the top it has to communicate the message of a message theme and intent and all that good stuff but you have to make sure to present it in really interesting ways because at this point you know given we're at one what what month 19 and maybe a half yeah. here of pandemic yeah. conditions everybody's getting kind of burnt on digital stuff but yeah. you've also got the opposite side of the coin where the quality is also starting to kick up a few notches because everybody's mm -hmm. used to dealing in the virtual environment now yeah yeah i would say it's such a it's um, it's getting hard it's more difficult now because you're right 20 months ago or i guess it wasn't i guess you know a year ago when we were marketing the first virtual super conference it was novelty and now it's like okay, this is one more thing I have to do. Is it going to be worth it? You know, it's not just, oh, great. I have the opportunity to do this. It's like, what is this actually going to contribute to my life, my professional practice? So yeah, it's definitely a challenge, but you're right. That's such a huge uh, part of the planning is figuring out how to, how to market it to people. So, so Michelle, the last piece I think I'd add into that, what's the plan section for here mm -hmm is uh, because we're, we're operating in a virtual land with whatever your event's going to be, it's really super important to tie back to the purpose, the theme, and the direction throughout. So to tie back to your you know, conference theme or tie back to the, uh, you know, the different sectors or, or trends or maybe uh, different aspects of the conference, depending on how your, your, you know, your formal structure is set up in terms of your bigger plan. Uh, that, you know, if you've got a stream that's focusing on something to make sure to reemphasize that from time to time to kind of remind participants that, uh, you know, there's a broader purpose, there's a bigger overarching thing. And that ties really nicely into that idea of what's the plan and kind of like locking that in right off the hop. So everybody's expectations are clearly set. Yeah, that's great. And I really like that idea of making sure the presenters are in on it too, so that everybody that's participating, not just the organizers understand, you know, these are the goals and and this is how we're, we're going to achieve them. I think that's really excellent advice. All right, moving on to number four. 
All right, so it's all about creating atmosphere. So with a, with a plan, you kind of bridge, bridge across to the idea of creating a bit of a mood behind it. So a lot of discussions take place around that idea of uh, converting. You know, I spoke to that a little bit in the previous piece of the plan there as well. Now, the answer should always be yes when it comes to creating atmosphere. You know, analyze what you need. Now, get some feedback from the people that uh, you, you, you've got organizing, but also presenting. Yeah, have, a, have an idea of uh, addressing some of what it may entail uh, about retooling certain aspects of in-person to virtual, uh, you know, possible deliveries, possible modes of delivering things. And uh, it, it, it begs to ask the question or begs to set aside the time to, uh, to do some analysis around what kind of mood you want, what kind of atmosphere you want totally. to set. You know, whether it's uh, you know, leaning towards the ideas of ensuring that there's a you know, code of conduct in place to make sure everybody's experience is positive and going in the right direction, all the way down to the idea of uh, engagement. You know, creating an atmosphere where people are free to ask questions of so both the presenters but also the organizers as well you know there may yeah. be some you know some technological challenges with some participants or you know people don't find that uh, you know they're really getting what's going on sort of thing uh, again the reference super conference again from last year you know you guys, you guys always used to have the, uh, the the question booth to be able to go ask you know in-person organizers anything you converted that very very nicely to the, the virtual environment as well and had the opportunity to dialogue with participants in like a non kind of like a session setting to make sure everything was kosher and cool to be able to, mm -hmm. to drift into their next piece of their experience. And, you know, those same examples apply really nicely in a lot of ways because it, it kind of goes into it like a check and balance kind of, uh, kind of situation where you want to, you want to increase participation, you want to increase the uh, participants experience, and you want to make sure that that safe and, uh, and welcoming climate is there throughout the event. So the atmosphere can also include uh, some ideas, uh, you know, that are very predominant in our in our culture and library land, especially these days when we're looking at being uh, creating atmosphere that's all about inclusivity, diversity, and you know, thinking broadly about uh, the topics and the questions and the material that's being presented. You know, the uh, yeah. the bigger the events get, the more content you've got floating around. Not all the content might necessarily link together in a natural fashion. Sometimes it's helpful to create some good linkages. Now, for the participants to be able to help them creating a bit of that atmosphere. So, mm -hmm. so, so Michelle, when we're when we're thinking atmosphere, uh, you know, does OLA have a bit of like a like a like a mode or a way they they look at atmosphere when you're launching an event that's you know considerably bigger? Yeah, it's interesting. I, I have lots of thoughts and questions around atmosphere, and I think a lot of it is just kind of my my personality seeps into some of the some of the atmosphere because I. I tend, I like everyone to feel relaxed and, uh, and a big part of this for me is the person who is moderating being comfortable. Like you have a very natural way of doing this kind of work. I'm very comfortable doing this uh, type of online moderation. And if you have someone who is very stressed out about their microphone or the technology failing or anything else going on around them, it makes, puts everyone else on edge. This is an example that is not necessarily a virtual conference, but I ride, uh, I use the Peloton app in the morning on my okay, bike. Yeah. And there's one instructor whom I love, Cody Rigsby, and his microphone failed while he was riding. And it was literally one of those moments where I was like, oh, my, oh no, oh no, oh, Cody's microphone. Oh, God. And it, he just very like reached behind him, put on a new one, and he's using hand signals to show like, just keep going, this is the pace. And just made everyone who was doing the ride feel so calm and taken care of and safe. And it just, it, it spreads like, no, you know, even though that was an asynchronous moment, I was worried for him 
And it made me feel anxious. And I think the same thing can happen in a virtual conference where if the presenters are unsure or the hosts are unsure, it, it spreads, it seeps into the atmosphere. It makes things gross and icky. So one of the ways we offset that I will say is I script everything. So we have a written script where if someone's Wi-Fi craps out in the middle of the conference, one of the other co-hosts can come in and pick up and we have exactly written down. They can go off script if they want. And normally I do all the time, but um, they know how to introduce someone, what the next session is. You know, we do a, a really extensive rehearsal, a run through ahead of time so that everybody knows what they're doing and what to expect. And that go, I think that is a huge contributor to the atmosphere. Yeah, that's a great one, Michelle. And if I can jump off on that as well, we use that same approach. You know, we've uh, we've converted some radio broadcasting techniques to the to the rollout of a lot of our big events as well. Yes. And and uh, one of the big things is trusting the team. You know, everybody's yeah. got access to the masterpieces. Anybody can jump in if something goes awry. And I, I will reveal I will reveal an industry secret, especially you know Ooh. between our two organizations running a lot of big events over the last many years. At least 25% of the time, there's something chaotic going on in the background that nobody actually ever sees because the team is so dialed in and, and on the point and have flipped something out or exchanged something or, or you know, flipped a switch to make sure that the user experience on the other side is, you know, at the maximum, slightly disrupted for a couple of seconds as something is replaced or something is tied in sort of thing. So that's, that's one of those things where it's very important to get the uh, the whole team to buy in as well. And uh, you know, that, 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 enge that engagement, that investment kind of goes uh, a couple of different directions because the team also helps create the atmosphere as well in terms yeah. of uh, creating some great character. And uh, again, you know, your example there shared there is uh, exactly how most organizations should really look at it because yeah. once you get your planning team around the table, you know, let the ideas flow and let the atmosphere create around that team because every event can have a bit of a different uh, dynamic and feel and still be under the umbrella of the organization at the end of the day. For sure. Yeah. Excellent. All right. That was a great one. Number four. Let's go on to number three. Well, I, th I think we uh, we may have created a bit of a natural segue there, Michelle. Is, yes. uh, my, my, my third one is uh, create the A-team mm -hmm. in, in, uh, in terms of this list. So and this refers to the 80s TV series, I'm assuming. I, I was a big fan, I gotta say. So yeah, I, I, I will take that reference for sure. You know, I can't go wrong with little Mr. T. So. Exactly, I love an A-team, okay. <laughs> so in, in regards to, uh, to creating that A-team, uh, regardless of the size of the organization at the end of the day, uh, bring together that optimum team that, uh, that is actually gonna help create the vision of, uh, of the event and, and champion its purpose at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. And this is an important thing for anybody who's leading the team or, you know, the chief organizer or whatever, whatever your structure is going to be in within your own organization to launch the big event. It's, uh, it's important to remember that uh, you need to listen to the team. You're not an island of one as the organizer at the top of anything. Uh, it really is a team activity, team event, and it's super important to pull in different elements from across your organization. You know, it may be, for example, you end up running an event that's highly tech-centric. There is no reason why you shouldn't have some of your IT folks in the mix because that content actually speaks to their work at the end of the day, and they may throw some different perspectives that uh, may improve something that may not be in the, in, the, in the lane that you normally would work in with uh, certain types of training events or certain types of content sort of thing. You know, use, the, use and maximize and, uh, and get some investment across the organization in terms of the potential content, the potential directions that uh, different, different uh, themes or ideas may head in. So uh, it's very important to broaden those ideas when you're looking at creating the initial team. Yeah. 
So, so Michelle, I would say uh, brainstorming is never a bad word. I know a lot of people have gotten played out on brainstorming throughout the COVID period, especially because now there's too many ideas to sift from. But, you know, you never know when that lightning bolt's going to strike. I never, I never like to shut a door in a brainstorming session because suddenly you may end up with something that, you know, may not fit the event you're trying to plan, but it may be useful for something else. You jot it down, you come back to it a little bit later sort of thing. Easy to focus in on the stuff that'll naturally fit within the, uh, the scope of the, uh, the main event that you're trying to plan or the main framework that you're trying to plan for an event. Mm -hmm. That's great. Have you, uh, I, I love, I agree. I mean, one of the things that I loved about working with the conference planning team with any of our, our committees are those brainstorming meetings. And, you know, I, I always love the, the sticky note meetings where the walls are just covered in mind maps and that kind of thing. How are you doing that virtually? How are there tools that you're using with your team that you find are better for helping, you know, encourage a brainstorming session? Yeah, we, we've experimented with a couple of things. Um, there's a few of them that get played out a little quickly. We found this. We found this one software called Padlet, which is essentially yes. like a like a big uh, like whiteboard. You can turn it into I think uh, like a half dozen or so different things. But one of them is a post-it note feature where you can put stuff up and move stuff around. That kind of thing. The interactive uh, piece. Um, the team kind of liked some of it for certain purposes. We found it didn't work super well for certain types of planning events. Like uh, the smaller the event got, the less useful that was. So it, it seemed to apply a little bit better to bigger events. Um, we're big fans of the old school, like lists and then collaborate the list sort of thing, you know, start making up some spreadsheets, that kind of thing. A little bit more old school, just, uh, you know, because we're still adopting some practices and technology from the OSN side and the, and the old soul side as well in terms of what we're doing as the OLS. So we're still trying to find our way in certain respects. Uh, we're, we're recently doing a lot of interesting work with uh, Microsoft Teams because we implemented that across the organization as a part of the amalgamation run as well. And uh, we keep finding these new add-ons and apps that are available. Uh, a lot of people don't realize that there's a couple of levels deep to go into Microsoft Teams where you can attach apps to projects and all these other things. So if you happen to be a Microsoft environment out there, I definitely encourage you to go uh, go do a little digging because there's some very interesting add-ons uh, that you can use for that. Uh, we've experimented a little bit with some of the Google technology as well. Uh, we, uh, we, we didn't go too, too deep in there, but uh, for those of you who are looking for me to say there's a lot of good free stuff out there, there actually is, and that uh, Google yeah. happens to be one of them, which, uh, which yeah. actually benefits a lot of organizations that you don't have to pay the, uh, the big institutional piece if you've got a smaller team at work, but uh, the fee-based stuff from Google is actually looking pretty nice as well, and it's under constant right. evolution, which is always pretty impressive, so that's yeah. probably where I'd go with those, with those recommendations good. to go explore. I'm personally offended that you're turning this into a Microsoft podcast, but I'm going to overlook that. I might edit that part out. Uh, <laughs> I don't blame you, Michelle. I don't. <laughs> we have also used similar to Padlet the Google Jamboard, um, which is a very similar experience. But you're right; even just a collaborative document where people can add things to a list is is helpful. You know, especially for people who might be if you've got a big group who might not you know be comfortable putting their voice forward. I think it's such a great. Uh, option to just let people type into a document their ideas and and then have the moderator articulate them or or you know whatever yeah it's great yeah, that, 
Yeah, that's actually a, a great uh, segue point there as well, Michelle. Uh, depending on the size of your team, so if you're a larger library out there that has a significant amount of staff that might be involved in planning a specific type of event, uh, you do need to take a step back and realize that you know frontline staff versus you know second second from the top level manager may have a very different comfort level about putting input into yes. something. So yes. don't forget the uh, the anonymous point. option every once in a while as well to be mm -hmm. able to say, you know what, this is you know, free sharing of ideas, everybody's ideas are good and to cement that kind of atmosphere and culture to, to make sure you get the best out of uh, what you need to form uh, form like an ethos around the planning ideas at the end of the day. So always, always good to be broad about that. Yeah, levels the playing field a little bit. All right, that takes us, I think that this leads really naturally into number two. It does indeed. I'm a big, big proponent of the innovate, grow, and experiment kind of ideology. I, as you're as you're well aware, I love to live life on the dangerous side of many, many things, in terms of especially work related things. For some odd reason, I don't know. I'm not too sure why, but uh, but uh, those uh, those experiments that we we love to conduct in library land are all about testing all the theories. You know, just because it hasn't been done doesn't mean it can't be done. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we've got great opportunities to, uh, to, you know, funnel ideas in from other sectors, even, you know, if we've seen an example in another conference or another thing that we participated in in our personal lives that was of interest, you know, there's no, there's no bad idea to throw on the table when it comes to the idea of uh, innovation. Mm -hmm. Now, positioning unique sessions and uh, unique flows and unique elements. You know, recently you joined us for the OLS conference and we did a split session that was half and half. It was, mm -hmm. you know, slightly technical but slightly experimental slightly applicable and you know real-time application of you know seeing how something is done that's uh that, that, that was something that was something that was a bit of a first for us in terms of mixing that type of thing and the response actually given i was reading the survey survey replies so far from the post event actually were really impressed by that kind of delivery because there was an application part of it to see how a thing was done which right. was which was pretty interesting uh to jump off what we were talking about on the previous point number three as well, you know, don't hesitate to use the cutting edge technology out there. There's lots of things to experiment with. Uh, a lot of common platforms, whether you're using Teams, whether you're using Zoom, whether you're using Google, whether you're using whatever else. I think Amazon's got some stuff out there now as well they're trying to compete with. Most of these uh, these technological tools have the third party add-ons to create interactive experiences, or they've got opportunities to like split the group so you can have little sub pods and discussions about certain things. If the if the event calls for that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I, I would say the most important things to, uh, to kind of remember is uh, know your audience. Don't throw mm -hmm. frilly stuff out there for the sake of frilly stuff. Make sure it's useful. Yeah. Uh, anything that's interactive, uh, anything that's graphically represented, so visual, whether it's, uh, you know, take a poll, see the results kind of thing, or displaying some images, maybe even some video, if the, uh, if, or, or audio even as well, if the opportunity presents itself naturally in the program. Uh, we talked a little bit about the whiteboard thing. It's fine. It's kind of fun to get the you know participants to interact on smaller scale uh, events where they can you now draw a thing or contribute a thing or write a thing or move a thing around or place a or place or rate a thing kind of thing. Uh, those options uh, continue to grow exponentially because all the uh, technology providers out there are dropping all kinds of additional things to play around with and experiment with. And you know, some of them are a little more stable than not. So test, test, test if you're going to go really experimental with uh, some of that new cutting edge stuff. But uh, that innovate thing is always very interesting. Uh, for me, it's all about enhancing the user experience and not killing my staff on the other end with too much too much tech or too much need to know or too many things to control. So the, that idea yeah. of uh, maintaining some kind of balance, I think is kind of important. 
that point about, you know, don't throw out frills for frills sake is so huge because, you know, I, I just heard a story of uh, some author programming that was offered to schools and the week before uh, it was, or no, even closer, I think it was the day before it was set to roll, they realized that the school board had actually um, like put a, a bar on that type of software, like that type of player or whatever that couldn't be played on school property through the board. And so the schools that were all set and signed up for the author events couldn't attend because of the, the barrier of technology. And, you know, but I think that this goes beyond um, just the tech. It's thinking and innovating and growing, experimenting with how you use it. Like you were saying, you did at your conference and the way that you allow people to ask questions or interact with the speakers or be the speakers themselves. There's so many opportunities for people to again, level the playing field and, and make the people in the room, the experts, not just the person they've hired to come and speak. And, uh, you know, I think we all learn so much from hearing, you know, case studies of what else is happening in library land. So I'm always curious. And, and I think I wish that more people did a virtual event that was open in that way. I, I understand for many of them, you need that the safety of just, you know, the webinar where it's locked down, you only see the one screen and that's it. Maybe you can ask questions, maybe not. But for me, I, I always find that I get more from an event where that has allowed for a more collaborative approach for sure. Yeah, I, I would agree as well, Michelle. You know, the disclosure on our end, you know, we, we had some great and fantastic registration for our, for our virtual conference from a few weeks ago at this point. And it was one of the highest registration events that we've had in couple of years in terms of some of the content that we've done you know yeah. we, we upgraded a few licensing things to allow more participants as well which was helpful for us because we knew that we knew there would be some popular elements but uh, one of the things I would add to this as well is uh, from the staffing side of things like we made some concerted decisions to go in some very specific ways using the technology that we used you know disclosure we used zoom for for the event that we just did mm -hmm. and some of it was about managing flow, but some of it was also uh, giving us the opportunity to do a little bit of learning with our with our recent event as well, because we weren't quite sure how the audience was going to react to the program in certain ways, and we wanted to make sure that it wasn't going to become overwhelming for us to be able to you know conduit the questions to the presenters properly, or you know have some moments of engagement or etc. That we needed to do, uh, to test out a few things on our on our own, and uh, to bring it back to point number two about the innovate, grow, and experiment. That's where we took our learning from. We took a bunch of steps to innovate, grow, and provide an experience, but we're going to take everything that we learned and. Next year, there's going to be another enhancement, another change, another another layer that's going to improve the experience, change up the experience, and have that dialogue piece uh, happening uh, happening in a really interesting way. So, mm -hmm. one of the things that was uh, was super helpful for us from the from the past event in terms of that innovate and experience piece was uh, our presenters were neck deep in, a, in in it with us. They wanted to push it a little further, and we had to pull them back a little bit in some respects and say, you know what. You know, we need to we need to do this a little bit more controlled this time, but we're going to have opportunities to grow it again next time. So hopefully you'll be in, in the mood to come back and join us again, et cetera, et cetera. You know, Mr. and Mrs. Presenter, you know, we but, uh, you know, we we need to we need to set a bit of a baseline of comfort for us as well. And I think that's important to factor into the mix when it comes to innovation. You know, we can't mm -hmm. go can't go too wildly off the rails on all fronts because that uh, that instills a lot of chaos on the planning end of yeah. things as well. For sure. Yeah. OK. Drum roll. That takes us to number one. 
Ah, uh, yes. I had a little trouble with uh, with coming up with number one. I'll be honest with you, Michelle. Uh, I, I, the, the phrasing of this got changed at least five or six times, but I think I'm, I'm pretty happy with where this one ended up. So for number one, so it's uh, it's the one and done is never a way to plan and grow. So when you're looking at a virtual event, it should have a bit of an organic feel to it. It's pretty rare that a lot of organizations are going to launch something of larger scale in particular that's going to be a single time and it'll never see the light of day again. Now, we're not talking like your standard webinar. That's more of a one and done situation unless you're doing yeah. a series or something like that. But when we're looking at something that's uh, going to be long term or multi year, maybe something you're going to do you know, every quarter, depending on what your organization is up to, that kind of thing. It's it's really important to have a bit of uh, a bit of data, a bit of learning uh, taken out of that because you always want to improve and have that organic growth that's going to happen and move the uh, the the organization's growth around a particular type of event forward. So for us, our virtual conference piece is more than likely going to be around for the very foreseeable future because clients like it. It works in terms of delivering content. Speakers like it because they can interact with us in a fashion that doesn't actually require us to move them or bring them anywhere necessarily for that particular audience. There's a lot of great factors that just you know continue uh, continue to allow us to grow and learn in this environment. And as technology is going to evolve, evolve as well, it's going to give us different opportunities to be able to uh, to throw in new elements for presenters and content as we grow and move forward into the future as well. Mm -hmm. I think it's super important not to be too dismissive about uh, the infinite possibilities. So when an event is done, so, you know, my team meets a couple of different times post event and with some breaths in between to be able to like step away from it and look back and step away from it and look back to be able to say, okay, you know what? I feel a little differently about the first comment I made in our post experience. You know, I thought I was really like behind, you know, element X that happened during the conference. But now, you know, I've talked with a few people, I've done this reading, I've done some research, you know, the clients have said that, you know, they really enjoyed it, but I got this other idea. So you've always, you're, you're already in that position to like incite that next piece of growth for the next event and, uh, and keep it going. So mm -hmm. as much as possible, you know, when you find that initial structure, let it evolve organically. You know, it's, it's that, that idea is never perhaps quite done. And it's always got that ability to grow in that dream, that next big dream that's going to enhance your experience for the next time around. And uh, that's got, that's what's actually got me really psyched for uh, OLE uh, Super Conference virtual number two coming up for, uh, for 2022, Michelle. So. Love this plug. This is, this is where I'm going to insert dream the impossible dream. The music's going to swell nice. in right nice. now. And I'm going to, I'm going to close it with a song. That's excellent. Thank you, Stephen. I'm I'm curious. Um, you know, through all of this, you, you've talked about so many interesting tools and the ways that you use them. But a lot of many of your clients are coming from the north and from areas where internet connection is not as guaranteed or as stable as what some of us, you know, in Toronto might have. So, how do you allow for for those members to have the same experience? Um, given that there's there's no guarantee of what they might be able to see and participate in. 
So what we've done in a couple of different respects is, uh, you know, with, with anybody out there in public library land here in Ontario, you're, you're more than likely familiar with our LearnHQ software, which is, a, which is a learning management system. So we archive everything that we do, especially for big events and even most of our small stuff with webinars and stuff like that, that it's watchable on the post. So whether, whether you can get to an internet connection maybe a few days later to be able to go back and experience the, uh, the, the content at the very least, that, that's an important part to be able to, to get at least a slice of the conference experience. Uh, one of our big pieces of learning that we've been doing so for the for the past consecutive events is we always make sure that there's some uh, some some uh, some written content to go along with all the sessions as well. So we do the traditional slide upload as well. Uh, this year we actually asked a few of the presenters to give us some testimonials and some like written pieces that people can do some takeaways with to complement the virtual experience as well. Some little short lists, some recommendation lists, some reading lists, that kind of thing. And we continue to evolve those ideas to make sure that there are no gaps. So this way, you know, in the event that you know connectivity was just not in the ballpark for the day of the actual event, that there's some additional options to be able to kind of like get in and explore those and maybe maybe take the weight off the connectivity piece a little bit. Now, we, it's always our hope that everybody who is participating in, uh, across the north, or the north and the south, because we have tons of pockets across southern Ontario as well, where rural internet's a little spotty and dodgy, depending on the day as well. So it's definitely not a northern only thing in that respect that, uh, you know, somebody's going to get something out of the experience at the end of the day. But mm -hmm. uh, I do I do recognize and acknowledge your comment, though, that, you know, I 100% guarantee that the connectivity challenge. is not equal, you know, yeah, oh, comes, sure. you, know yeah. you know, point to point across the province by any means. Yeah. Okay. Well, that is great. Thank you so much for this top five list. We've gotten through the vegetables and now it's time to move through to dessert. Nice. So here we go. We're going to be right back with our last segment, which still doesn't have a name, but I'm calling right now today, get to know your library person. So this segment, as I've mentioned in previous episodes, is a list I've come up with based on some surveys that I've stolen from other people on the internet, which is really just me asking questions that helps me get to know your personality more. And, uh, you know, a lot of people know you, Stephen, you're very popular in public library land. Um, but I think there's some academics and some other people out there that might not know who you are. So here we go through our list. The first one being the first question, what is something people often get wrong about you? <laughs> uh, this is an interesting one, Michelle. Uh, it's my name. Hmm. So uh, for, for decades, it's been misspelled, both the first and the last, tons of times. So I am a proud Franco-Ontarian who happens to have an Austrian last name. Okay. So it's Stephen with a V and Kraus, not Cross, or any other variation thereof. So that, that one actually comes up very, very frequently. And uh, I find it funny because I always joke with my dad because he's, he's like, well, how do you pronounce it? In, do you pronounce it in French? Is that the problem? And then he starts making fun of me about that, too. So. <laughs> As someone with German heritage, I would have never thought to get that wrong so you're welcome because i know that's never been me who's gotten your name wrong that's that's a fact that's true <laughs> all right number two last tv show you binged and loved i am a huge nerdy trekkie and i have been re-watching all the series of in order and i'm about to restart with the original series probably in another month or two because i've made it through uh all uh, almost all of them, uh, except the next generation, I decided to start in the middle and flip back through all the Star Trek series. So right now I'm finishing off Enterprise right now. Well done. 
Uh, number three, a concert that you'll never forget. Now you're a big music guy, so I bet this is going to be a good one. Yeah, and you know, full disclosure out there, Library Land, and for those of you who have never met me in person, I am a huge metalhead, and it yes. seems very contrary to uh, Library Land and all that good stuff. <laughs> but uh, I make a point of making a pilgrimage down to Toronto every time uh, my favorite band from Quebec, Voivode, plays a show, and it's usually in like a small, medium-sized club in downtown Toronto. And that was actually the last show I saw before COVID hit. So it's probably going to be the first show I'm going to see post-COVID as well when they get back out there touring. So what was their name again? A voivod. Voivod. Okay. Yeah. Question number four. What's your favorite meal? This is a very intricate response. Okay. Wild rice, Cajun catfish, and bok choy together. Fabulous. We got all three elements there. I love it. Uh, number five. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Uh, is this question going back to like my childhood or like present times? Because there's two different answers to this question. You can do whatever you want, but I like present time. Present time? Uh, I, I want to be a conservation officer because I, my, the time I spend in the outdoors and the amount of time and enjoyment that I have in the outdoors, I, I would, uh, if I were to change careers, I think I would go back and, uh, and take that program and, uh, and make sure that I was out there protecting the, uh, the, the natural environment in the province for others to enjoy. I always take there that ethic when I'm out there myself. So. Excellent. Uh, flip side of that, what's a profession you would not want to attempt? Uh, my mom's probably never going to hear this episode. So my entire family is full of teachers and mm -hmm. my mom likes to remind me that I actually kind of became one anyways, given the type of work we do at the OLS. You it's it's, not, it's yeah. not quite teaching, but it's, it's, is it's it because close, of the kids. No, no, I love, I, lo I love kids. You know, big okay. shout out to my three nieces, Vanessa, Rachel, and Stephanie, who are, who are now all in their twenties, by the way. <laughs> no, I get, no, it. It, I, I get it, it. Teaching it, is an exhausting profession. Yeah, in that respect, I, I couldn't see myself in in front of a classroom full of kids. I, I don't think, but I do love I do do love adult education in that respect. Yes. I suppose. So. Uh, okay, number seven. What is your idea of happiness? Mm, this is a really complex question. Uh, can can I make it a tie? Go for it. All right. I'm going to, I'm going to say time with family. I'm very close with my parents and, and extended family and, and uh, that, that are up here with me in the North, especially, and the ones that are, uh, that are cast across the, uh, the many provinces of Canada and all kinds of different directions for my family. So definitely a big family vibe in that one. And uh, I think the other, the uh, part B of it is uh, just being creative. Like, I, as you noted, I love music and love creativity and have a lot of, uh, a lot of energy going in that direction. Uh, which leads into number eight. What turns you on, creative, spiritually, or emotionally? Uh, I think I think I'll lean on that creative one out of your list here, Michelle, and and just say uh, I really love that moment where you hear a brand new track from a brand new artist or one of your favorite artists that makes you go, "Wow, I can't believe they did that!" And it kind of like inspires you to go see them live or go pick up an album or go buy a record or something like that to you know fuel your own creativity. I, I thoroughly encourage anybody. You know, it doesn't have to be music, but whatever makes you feel creative and inspired, soak up as much of that as possible in life because. Uh, now, once once we're in the great beyond in every space or wherever else we end up in the in the next life sort of thing, you know, you're not going to get those chances. So enjoy all the art and all that creativity that we uh, we get to enjoy now and uh, soak it up as much as possible in life. There you go. Number nine, the flip side of that, what turns you off creative, spiritually, emotionally? Uh, ego. I, I, I am a person that is like very finely 
tuned and dialed in the ego. If, uh, if somebody comes at me with a lot of ego, you're probably going to get silence from me because uh, my personality is not wired for that. I wear a big heart on my sleeve most of the time, even though I do not look like it, visually speaking, <laughs> in that respect. But uh, yeah, uh, that, that, that one never floats well with me. So Yeah, that's, I, I'm, I'm on board with that for sure. And the final one, one thing that you are grateful for right now. I, this is going to sound like a cheesy COVID-related comment, given the times that we're in, but mm-hmm. one of the things that really struck me was uh, the power of like friendship, connection, family, and like the real stuff out of life. You know, when uh, when you know all our 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 BS got stripped away of our normal activities with COVID, us doing a bunch of stuff that you know, maybe wasn't all that important in priority anyways, but it was just part of our normal flow of life. It really gave me a new sense, a new impression of what really mattered in life. And that's kind of the cheese ball comment, I guess, out of that, because a lot of people have said that throughout the COVID, uh, COVID vibe. But uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to what the post-COVID world's going to look like, because I kind of reprioritize things as a result of our experiences over the last many months. But I'd already kind of been on part of that journey anyways. And I think COVID just kind of gave me an extra boost to say, you know, I'm going to spend my time on things that really matter in the future. And I'm just grateful for the people around me who are in my circle, my tight circles that are encouraging me to do that and, you know, stay creative and stay plugged in and, uh, you know, keep growing myself and in, uh, in ways that's, that are going to really feel good in the, uh, the post-pandemic world and well beyond. So. Amazing. Thank you so much. I love all of that. That was a that was a great great series of rapid fire answers. So thank you. And uh, you know, I think you are a person who very much matters to Library Land and makes such a difference with your creative approaches to things. And uh, I really thank you for their time today and all of the work that you do to uh, to bring the libraries of Ontario together. And also, you know, all the you know, thanks for amplifying OLA all the time. I really appreciate you being a, a really big cheerleader out there. So thanks. Uh, my, you know, my pleasure, Michelle. Been a, been, a, been a member for years and years and years and definitely encourage everybody else to do so as well. And if I may, Michelle, a big shout out to my team as well. They keep me organized and keep me on play here as well at the OLS. So all you public libraries out there, if you need something, you know where to call. Absolutely. Some of the best people work up at OLS. It's great. Well, that is all the time we have for today. Thank you so much, Stephen Crows from OLS. This was a great conversation, a great list. I hope that everyone out there is a a little bit more recharged when it comes to your virtual events, because I know as much as we don't want to be doing them anymore, we're probably going to have to for the next little while. And I hope that you will be joining us for Super Conference in February, the program of which will be coming out in the next few weeks. And we're very excited to uh, to launch that and to bring that to you once again. So thanks, Stephen. Thank you, Michelle. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Library Land Loves. Please don't forget to drop me a line if there's something you'd like to talk about or something your library is doing. My contact information is linked in the show notes and I'd love to hear from you. So take care, stay safe. We'll talk to you next week.